Cool. Check. All right. Uh, Chris Santos, DJ Flow here, Inventions and Dimensions podcast. And um, we are blessed to have the be in the presence of the legend, Marcus Miller. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How you doing, man? Good, good. Thank you for, for coming here, man. It's a, oh, No problem. It's an honor to have you here. So, um, like I was saying, uh, when we first, before we started recording, um, I usually just go through some of, you know, some of the picks of our guests, but, um, go ahead and, uh, if, if it's cool, just kind of tell us a little bit about who you are and, uh, kind of what you're involved with. I know that that's very long and <laughs> yeah, I have <laughs> you to got figure a long out a history, but a short uh, version. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm from uh, New York city, born in Brooklyn and, uh, raised in queens jamaica queens okay if you land in kennedy airport you're landing in jamaica queens that's mm -hmm. that neighborhood right there and uh my father's piano player whole family is very musical mm -hmm. my dad played in church weddings all everything that you need music for mm -hmm. in the neighborhood in the community my dad did that his cousin is another piano player who played jazz great jazz player played with miles davis and west montgomery back in the day so um i got into music man very early and uh, Jamaica, Queens was very cool because everybody had basements in their house. Mm -hmm. And the parents were, were happy to buy instruments if they could afford it, even if they had to take out a loan. Yeah. Because then they could hear their kids downstairs and they knew what they were doing. They weren't getting in, in any trouble, stuff like that. So the parents encouraged it, man. And everybody had a band. Mm -hmm. So I got into it. First, I was playing uh, clarinet because they gave, gave me that instrument in school. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to play funk, you know, and soul. So I switched to bass after a while and, and stuck with that. I still play the clarinet, but play the bass most of the time. And um, man, let's see. I started playing when I was thirteen. By by fifteen, I was gigging. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And by sixteen, I was on the road. Um, it helped that I was from New York, because in New York, you know, a lot of other people who grow up somewhere else, they got to move to New York because mm -hmm. that's where all the the action was happening. Yeah. So they got to wait till they finish school. But in high school, I was already getting gigs. Wow. You know. So um, anyway, eventually I got into um, all sorts of stuff, man. Studio work, uh, working with people like uh, like way back Lonnie Liston Smith and Bobby Humphrey. These were like the original jazz funk yeah. players, you know. And then um, I joined Roberta Flack's band, who was a, is an incredible singer, and she uh, she had like the number one song in the in the world for a while. Mm -hmm. Luther Vandross was singing background with her. He's the one who recommended me for her gig anyway we got to be tight and we started working on music together so uh, if you ever heard any of luther's hits like never too much yeah, yeah, that'd yeah, be me on the bass yeah. i was like his little brother then we started writing music together mm. and uh, we wrote a lot of stuff stuff for rita franklin a lot of stuff for luther himself man okay so now i'm up to only 1981 <laughs> let's see um uh, a couple of years after I uh, started working with Luther, I got a call from Miles Davis. So he had been in retirement for five years. He came back, uh, made a big comeback, and I was in that band with him. Um, and I was also doing a lot of sessions. Sessions means, you know, back in the day, everybody needed a band to make a record. So, um, And they didn't have the time to rehearse a band, like for a week before the before the recording day. Yeah, yeah. So they had to call musicians who could read music really well and get it together really fast because studio time mm -hmm. was expensive. Mm -hmm. Now you just go buy an Apple laptop <laughs> and you're cool. But back then, you know, studio time was expensive. So musicians who could get it together fast were at a premium. So, man, I found myself playing on hundreds, 
like five, six hundred records, man, um, beginning in the eighties. And um it was an incredible experience, man. If you wanted to find me, you could find me walking up and down Broadway with my bass on my back going from one session wow. to the other. I didn't even know who it was for. I had an answering service. <laughs> and they would say, Hey, you need to be at this studio at this time. I said, Okay. And they tell me who the producer was, mm -hmm. but I didn't know who the artist was till I got there. Yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. it was it was like Frank Sinatra, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes it was Elton John, and sometimes it was like a straight ahead jazz record. It was all sorts of stuff. You just had to be ready, yeah. you know, and you had and they to just do the charts in front of you. Yeah, they threw it in, you yeah, looked at yeah. you know, they tried it, they maybe did two or three takes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then move on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's pretty cool. Eventually I got into um producing. Mm -hmm. um, I was working with a guy named David Sanborn a lot and writing music for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was writing music for Luther, and uh, both of those guys eventually uh, asked me to start producing. So I began to become responsible for the whole sound, not <laughs> just for the song and for the bass, but for the whole thing. And um, then towards the end of the 80s, I got into scoring movies. So the first movie I did was House Party. You remember House Party? Yeah, 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 yes. yeah. So the, the director of House Party, the creator, his name is Reginald Hudlin, Reggie Hudlin. And Reggie had just got out of film school. And you know, like at the end of school, like end of college, they make you do like a term paper yeah, or something yes, like yes, that. Yes, yeah, like their final. Yeah, the final. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if you're in film school, your final is a film. Yes, yes. And so Reggie did a short film and uh, it was cool. And a New Line Cinema picked it up. Oh, wow. And that's how he got started. And he had been listening to my music for the past 10 years. He said, hey, man, I love what you do. I'm sure you'd be good at scoring my movie. I said, I. I I don't know anything about scoring yeah. movies. He said, don't worry, you'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And so he just handed me, this is how long ago, it was VHS tapes. <laughs> he handed me a VHS tape with the you know, with the movie yes, on it, yeah. you know, but with no music. Yeah, yeah. And I just started writing music. And uh, that was a big hit, uh -huh. you know, um, House Party. And then we did Boomerang with Eddie Murphy. And uh, from <laughs> then on, it just, you know. So House Party was your first score. House Party was my first score. Oh, yeah. wow. Kid and wow. Play. And we had, I had a group at the time called yeah, yeah. Jamaica Boys, and we had a song called, uh, it was called Shake It Up. That was like one mm -hmm. of the theme songs <laughs> for House Party. Anyway, um, towards the 90s, I started doing my own thing. I put together my own band yeah, yeah. and uh, been doing that since then. Mm -hmm. Producing, writing music for movies, kind of keeping it all going at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And then um, recently you started that radio show that I've read about. Um, yeah, you know what? It turned out, man, let's see, what year? It's 11 years now. Oh, wow. I mean, I didn't realize it either, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. 11 years at the show. It's called Militon, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, uh, I just do all sorts of, I play all sorts of music that has to do with jazz, mm -hmm. but not mm -hmm. just straight jazz. Yeah, you know, yeah, I play yeah. a lot of straight jazz, but then I'll play stuff uh, with a Latin flavor. I'll play stuff with funk flavor, and there's a lot of different funks. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. not just Clinton and them. Mm -hmm. You know, funk, they were playing funk back in the in the 60s. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, yeah. You know and whenever it was soulful, mm -hmm. um, they called it funky. You know, so uh, I play that, man. I play uh, hip hop, jazz, you know, mm -hmm. whatever's happening so that people get a full picture. I call yeah. it 360 degrees. Okay. And what is that? Sh that's on Sirius XM? Sirius XM, it comes on at um, uh, 6 o'clock on the East Coast on Sundays and mm -hmm. 3 o'clock on the West Coast. Is it archived at all or is it only live? I know it's archived. You know, yeah, 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 you know yeah. they're not gonna let, just let me do the show and yeah, just let it yeah, go out yeah. into the air. You know what nah, I mean? Nah, man. Cause I, yeah, I, I, um, I'm, I have a relationship with Sirius that's on and off. Oh, really? And so, for the last couple of years, I haven't had it. So I'm, I might even just jump on now that I know that you have that show. I can't. Yeah. It's been that long. I didn't even know. I like feel like no, I've you know what? Um, we, we, um, <laughs> we have some shows that last. You know, because yeah. I'm not just playing like the hits of the day. Yeah. So you know, they can rerun shows that are yeah, popular. You know. Yeah. 
and they say, hey, man, you know, that show you did uh, on women in jazz or that show you did about big bands or, you know, a bunch of shows, people love that. So yeah. they play it from time to time. So I don't have to be like yeah. every week getting mm-hmm. a show together. So, you, I mean, you're, you're, that's, that's like DJing. That's like programming. Like, have you ever got into DJing like that or do you like? Man, I, um, <laughs> I fool around with it yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit, you know what I mean? Because um, you know what this era is all about, as far as I'm concerned, is taste. Because, um, you know, back in the day before DJs were really like making music and doing parties, um, it was all bands, right? So, you know, you'd have a band and you'd play a dance and you wanted to play like some progressive music. And the people were like, man, we don't want it. We just want to, you know, can you just play something just we can groove. dance to? Yeah, yeah, yeah we just yeah, want to. Yeah. And so the DJs started coming on mm-hmm. and, you know, we started losing work because the mm-hmm. DJs all about what the people, yeah. what's going to get the people moving, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. I started watching, man, and saying, man, we better start paying attention because yeah. these DJs are going to start taking over, you know? Especially it's kind of in the popular yeah. realm, like a dance realm. And then, um, you know, uh, then the, the MC, you know, they had an extra mic, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the MC would just be there. It was crazy because original hip-hop, the MC was just there telling everybody how dope mm-hmm. the DJ was, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but they started taking over, man. And so now with, uh, you know, hip hop, it's like you don't have to spend half your life learning how to play and how to get a sound out of your instrument. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, man, for us, we had to play just scales just to learn how to get a good sound mm-hmm. out of your instrument. So they can bypass that and just work on taste, work on what gets people moving and what mm-hmm. gets people excited. You know what I mean? So. I always paid attention to that. Yeah, you know? I mean, that probably shifted from the reason that you started producing, right? Like, that was actually a good pivot for yeah. you. Yeah. Because you kind of saw what they were wanting to play, so you were able to produce music. Right? Yeah, and a, as a producer, you got to learn, just like a DJ, you got to learn the whole thing. Yeah. As a musician, sometimes you focus just on what you do, your instrument, you know. But uh, DJs, producers, they all listen to the whole sound, and they all watch the reaction mm-hmm. of people to the music they're making. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. So uh, I grabbed a couple records, and so I'm gonna just throw you some records, and then maybe you could just kind of talk about them. And uh, I guess we'll just let let's start with let's start with this one. So I got this uh, Luther Vandross. I couldn't find the LP, but I got the 45. It's never too never much. too much. Oh yeah, I, I was just talking about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We um we were in Roberta Flack's band. I think I was 20, 20 years old, and Luther said, "Hey, man, you know." Um, I would like to make a demo to do my own thing. And I said, you know, you're, he was literally like the top call, number one background singer okay, in New yeah. York. He would sing on all those records. You know those records by Chic? Chic, okay. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the band Chic, yeah, yeah, Good yeah. Times, and, uh, you know, Rapper's Delight. That was what became Rapper's yeah, Delight, yeah, but yeah. it was Good Times originally. And he was in Change, right? Was that yeah. pre, like, yeah. so was he background technically in that, or was he a lead? Well, what they would do, the, the group Change, was kind of a put-together group. Okay. And the okay. producers need a lead singer. Got so it. Luther would sing lead if you needed one. Yeah, you know? got it, and, got uh, it. He would sing lead on commercials, TV commercials, radio commercials, and this band changed. Mm-hmm. These producers, they used him, and it became such a smash. Mm-hmm. That was one of the reasons he said, I need to do my own thing. Because, you got know, it. this yeah. change record is big, yeah, yeah, yeah. and a lot of people don't even know it's me. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. anyway, uh, he said, I want to do my own thing. So we did a demo uh, of music he had been working on, and one of the songs was... Never too that much. 45 yeah, rpm yeah, record that, that you just pulled much. out never too much yeah, yeah. and uh it was funny man because after luther did the demo 
you know, he, you have to take it around to different record companies mm-hmm. to see if you can get signed. And man, he, it took him a year. You know, he went to everybody. Oh wow! And they were like, "Hey, man, you know, you know, you got it. You have an angle. You have a gimmick. Mm-hmm. You know, because all he just all he did was just stand there and sing. Yeah. But he sang his ass yeah. off. You yeah. know. Yeah. But people didn't. You know. You know. Some record executives get stuck in whatever's going on mm-hmm. right now, and they mm-hmm. think that's the only path. You know. Anyway, a guy named Larkin Arnold, who was with um, Epic Records, legendary A and R guy. You know, he said, I'm signing you, you know, and uh, you do it just the way you want. Because a lot of the record executives said, we'll sign you, but we want to put you with our producers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Luther said, no, man, I want to do it my way. Anyway, it took him a long time. But, man, when that record came out, the DJs in the public just, it just exploded. You know, it just went nuts. And it was like literally overnight, even though he was like 29 at the time, which is kind of, it's older for a new artist. But, man, he... And uh, the rest is history.
that was the demo versions the ones that ended up being like did you guys have to redo them or there was just that's what y'all made no he just added you know strings sweetened oh, it up sweetened it. it up a yeah, little yeah, bit yeah, you know yeah. what i mean but yeah. no those were the original tracks wow you know? yeah that never too much that bass just come in <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean like i said before yeah they wrote it out oh you know? okay okay yeah, yeah. luther grew up with a piano player mm -hmm. who became like his accompanist yeah, like, yeah. For, for their whole life his name is nat adderley jr mm -hmm. and uh nat adderley is actually the nephew of cannonball adderley yeah. who's yeah. legendary oh, wow. yeah, yeah. legendary jazz saxophonist anyway nat wrote it out mm -hmm. what you know what the bass line was and i looked at it i added a little something something here and there mm -hmm. you know and um you know about a year later luther sends me his record yeah you know and i say Oh man, I don't even remember doing this, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm beginning to remember. It was a long time ago, right? He said, "Yeah, we did it on Sunday morning. We did the recording Sunday morning because that was the only studio time he could get, you know." Man, that's just one of them iconic ones, like that. Just they play in every barbecue across the world. That's a barbecue <laughs> hit right there. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one I'm gonna pull up on you. Um, this, I guess this one's big, especially you bring from New York, right? And like uh, seeing hip hop kind of grow. I got this joint. Um, much too much. Oh yes, <laughs> and so uh, for Man. this to be sampled on the intro to uh, to Reasonable Doubt, um, and just kind of I guess kind of talk about well one talk about your solo kind of efforts and your albums, but also kind of the experience you had being sampled by the new generation of hip hop, and I mean that was an important record for hip hop, you sure. know. So yeah, I um I uh, that was my first attempt at making my own records, mm -hmm. you know, and I made two in a row. And then said, I, I don't think I'm ready. And went back to doing what I was doing, producing it. And then started again in the 90s, like I was saying before. Yeah. But that was one of the songs on the record, man. And just all of a sudden, man, the first time I heard it sample was Can't Knock the Hustle. Yes. yes. Jay-Z and Mary yeah. J. Yeah. Right. And I'm going, oh, wow, man. They, you know, they just, and that's the other thing about producers, man. Like, you know, some of my friends like Q-Tip and those guys, they spent all their time listening to records. Just looking for a magical bar or two bars. That's how they practice. Yeah. You know, I practice playing scales mm -hmm. and all that stuff. They practice by just listening. Every town they go to, they go to the record vinyl shop to see if they can find something that hasn't been used or something that catches their ear. And this was one of them, man. It, I can't tell you how many times. Because it's interesting because usually they just take a song and they redo it. They sample it. And then that's what you hear. You know, you hear that whatever the original you hear that and you hear that one sample but with much too much this one is just like it's part of like hip-hop yeah you know what i mean yeah. like people will just use it over and over again it doesn't matter that somebody else used yeah. it yeah Every girl I see Hey girl 
this is another one. It's kind of a you was on this one, right? Yeah, this, Dave that's Dave Grusin. Yeah, Mountain Dance. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this one ended up. I found this through the sample on um, Notorious B.I.G.'s um, "Ready to Die" album. But uh, can you talk about working with Dave Grusin and kind of this record here? Yeah, Dave Grusin uh, came up to a, a club that me and my homies from Jamaica Queens were playing at on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Somebody told Dave, you need to go up to 143rd Street and Broadway in Harlem because these young kids are playing, you know, and we had guys like Bernard Wright, who you know about, and uh, Tom Brown, and we were all up there doing our thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Dave Grusin and his partner, Larry Larry Rosen, they came up to, to it's called the Breezin' Lounge, right? Matter of fact, George Benson was the owner of the Breezin' Lounge. Uh, but he, he, right, because yeah. he had that big album, <laughs> Breezin, and he left it for his original manager mm -hmm. to manage, Jimmy Boyd. So Jimmy Boyd let us play up there, you know what I mean? And Dave and Larry came up and heard it, and they signed Tom Brown on the spot. Oh, wow. They were like, it was like old school, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. you're playing in a club and some record exec says, mm -hmm. here, man, I'm going to offer you a record deal, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know? So so uh, Tom scheduled his record date, and when Dave and Larry, uh, you know, sitting in the studio waiting for the musicians to show up and all these kids show up you know like tom was like one of the older guys because he was like 22 yeah yeah, yeah. but uh bernard wright was 14 and oh wow i was probably 18 or 19 myself all these kids just walk and they go what is this nursery school you know <laughs> but man everybody wow, was everybody was killing yeah you know? yeah and dave ended up man dave grusin ended up signing Three of the other artists, three of the other uh -huh. kids yeah. as artists. You know, he signed um, Donald Blackman, who did an incredible album for yeah. them. He signed uh, uh, Bobby Broom, who's a guitar player. Uh -huh. And he signed one more. I can't remember who the other guy was right now. But um, it was beautiful. Anyway, uh, I wasn't ready to make my own album yet, mm -hmm. but Dave started using me on all the sessions that Got he was it. producing. Yeah. And that's how I ended up on, this on that Mountain yeah. Dance wow. album. It's amazing.
Grover Washington. Yeah, you got a hit on here too. That's a big one. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, all of a sudden it got more popular again. Uh huh. That's uh-huh. the thing when you've been around, you see music uh, and songs that they were big hit, and then you know you don't hear about the song for a while. Then all of a sudden, one generation just picks up on it. And just a few years ago, all of a sudden I'm hearing just the two of us mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah, know? yeah. But it's a big one. It's a big one. Grover Washington Jr. Man, I was. I think I was 19 when, when I did that one. And um, and uh, just three years earlier, I had been jamming the Grover's record in my bedroom oh, wow. at, at home, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like playing along with the record. Mm-hmm. And then just a few years later, man, I was tripping, man, because I said, wow, man, I was just playing along with these guys. Mm-hmm. And now it's the real guys right here. Yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, the way I knew it was real was because um, we were playing towards the end, Grover's soloing, and he's killing it, right? And then I threw a little bass lick in there, right? And then Grover heard it, and he incorporated what I played into his own song. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, yo, that never happened when I was playing in my bedroom. Yeah. The record never kind of reacted to what I was yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty, wow. pretty cool.
then uh, yeah, I got these last two just real quick. Uh, That's my little brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not so really. So how old was he here? He's 16. And this was one of the ones where he he got signed and then he made this album? Yeah, this was like at that same story. Oh, know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Bernard Wright was up there at Breezin Lounge. and uh, But he came in with Tom Brown to that first session. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, who is this kid? You know, because not only was he playing the heck out of the piano, mm -hmm. he, he also contributed a song to that, to mm -hmm. Tom Brown's album. Oh, okay. So they said, we got to sign this kid. He's 15, 16 years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, he made an album. He had one of our other homies, Donald Blackman, yeah. come and sit in on the album. Mm -hmm. And Donald Blackman got signed yeah, yeah, yeah. right after that. Mm -hmm. uh, on Bernard's record, the big sampled record was Hobble Globble Chip. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which was written by Donald Blackman. Hobble Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and the one that I remember, the sample I remember is the one with Snoop. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He yeah. did that one. He did it on, uh, on uh, Doggy Style. Doggy Style. Is it Doggy Style? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I thought G's and Hustlers. Yeah. 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 Yep. That's how I found this record. And uh, the Skilo, uh, I don't know, it's a doo -doo -doo. Um, I wish I was a little bit taller. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then there's another one on there um, uh, that was sampled by um, Five Called Quest. Oh, okay. Oh, man. Let me see that album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here you go. Let me pull up the swoop for you. Uh, oh, Spinning. Spinning, yeah. Okay. Uh.
they sample spinning. And if you hear that, you go, oh, wow, that's, yeah. so it's crazy, you know, just to see these, this music. Cause at first we were like, man, these guys are ripping us off, mm -hmm. you know? They just, you know, they don't know how to play any instruments. Yeah, yeah. And they're just like using our music mm -hmm. and rapping over it. But that all got worked out. Yeah. Legally. Yeah. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So that, you know, they would ask you for clearance mm -hmm. and then you would get a, um, you get royalties, songwriter royalties. Yeah. And so that cooled it out. And then it became just something cool that kept your music alive. Yeah. You know? So how was that? I know you said that you had a relate. You were cool with Q-Tip. And so you know all those guys. Like, was that one of those things that, like, you built a relationship with them after you understood what was going on? And, or well, like, well, with Q-Tip, he is just so creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know yeah. what I mean? He did stuff with the samples that you would never imagine yeah, yeah. something being done like that. So we already, always had respect for him. Uh -huh. Plus, he's from our neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah. it's crazy. He was just the next generation after us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, like I was around when um, hip-hop first started in yeah. New York. Yeah. You know? I'm from Queens. I mean, it really got started in the Bronx, but it got to Queens real fast. Mm -hmm. And um, so I knew that what it was was these guys who just came behind us uh, they didn't have access to musical instruments, mm -hmm. but they had music inside of them. And you know how it is, man. If you got music inside of you, you're going to find a way yeah, to yeah, get it to out. Make it happen. Yeah, you're going to yeah. find a way, even if it's just taking a record, yeah. two records, you know. 100%. And the other thing that happened with hip hop was that R&B was getting real sophisticated, mm -hmm. real sophisticated. I'm talking about strings, orchestral strings and horns and arrangements. And uh, every... 10, 20 years, music has to get stripped down. Mm -hmm. Same thing happened 20 years earlier, like when rock and roll happened. Mm -hmm. You know, if you listen to an old Nat King Cole record, old Frank Sinatra record, it was all orchestral yeah, and yeah. harmonically lush, sophisticated and, and lush. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, Chuck Berry, Little Richard just stripped it down yeah. back to the, you know, to the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it went back and then it grew back, grew back. You know, 55, 65, 75 by 75, yeah. new generation comes along and says, man, we'd like to strip it back down again and get back to the essential thing. So uh, hip hop is 50 now. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it's lasted a long time. But, you know, eventually, you know, because hip hop's getting much more sophisticated now, mm -hmm. too. You know, you're hearing stuff on hip hop records that you would never hear back in 79. Yeah. You know? yeah. So eventually it'll get stripped back down. Again. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, yeah, man, um, we really appreciate your time. I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know you got a show today. So um, maybe just uh, to wrap up, maybe give a plug like where we are. So we're here at the San Jose Summer Jazz or Jazz Summerfest mm -hmm. and um, kind of the stage that you're performing on and stuff like that. Yeah, so we're here at the San Jose Summer Jazz Fest. This thing is a pretty, pretty um, well-known festival. Mm -hmm. And it's been happening for a long time now, mm -hmm. which is impressive because it's not easy to put one of these things mm -hmm. on, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, it happens right in the middle of the town. So mm -hmm. they shut down downtown down and they have stages that they put on. We're going to be playing the main stage. I think we're going on at seven o'clock or something like that. And uh, it's cool, man. The summertime is festival time. Yeah. People yeah. are ready to, to hear music. And it's really gratifying because there was a couple of years in there where that wasn't able to happen. Yeah. You know? yeah. And now everybody's back. Everybody's kind of back in a community. Mm -hmm. which is really cool anything else you want to plug or where people can find you or what you want people to know the real marcus miller is instagram and marcus miller band i think is facebook mm -hmm. you can find it just if i'm saying something crazy that means it's not me 
if you read something crazy, that's that's somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Because you know how it is. There's a lot of that going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, let's see. There's an artist, South African artist, uh, named Jonathan Butler. Okay. I mean, he's been here for a while. He's mm-hmm. originally from South Africa. Matter of fact, he was a child star mm-hmm. in South Africa. Then he moved to London. Then moved to the U.S. in the '80s. Anyway, dear friend of mine, and we worked on an album together. I produced an album on Jonathan Butler. Okay. That's pretty sweet. If you guys want to check it out. Um, he got back to the South African roots a little bit, but uh, it's still like got flavor from America because he's been here for so long. Really, really nice record. We got Stevie Wonder to come on oh, and wow. add a little harmonica flavor. So uh, it's something you guys should check out. No, I'll check that out, man. But um, thanks again, man. Much respect. Thank you. My pleasure. Peace.